Well, it was back in 2007 that a man named A.J. Jacobs uh, released a book called The Year of Living Biblically. Now, it wasn't exactly what you think of when you think of living biblically. Uh, Jacobs is not a Christian. In fact, he describes himself as an agnostic Jew. He, He said this, he said, I'm officially Jewish, but only Jewish in the same way that Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. So Jacob sits down, he reads the Bible cover to cover, and he he identifies every possible law and rule and expectation that you can think of. And then he commits to living literally by all of these rules and laws as best he can out of his apartment in Manhattan. It was quite crazy. A couple of things he did. He stopped wearing clothes made from mixed fabrics. That's an Old Testament law. You might know about that one. Uh, In accordance with Levitical law, he stopped shaving the edges of his beard. We actually have a photo of him here, I think. Well, we'll, we'll let you in the room see that. Uh, he refuses to shake hands with any woman he thinks might be ceremonially unclean. And this is my favorite one. He, he carries around small pebbles in his pocket, and he practices flinging these little pebbles at people without them noticing so that he can fulfill the law to stone adulterers. He does this for a whole year, and at the end of the year, he said, you know, this makes for a great book, but it utterly destroyed my marriage. In fact, his wife told him that if he didn't knock it off, she was leaving him. (laughs) So year of of living biblically, kind of interesting, isn't it? But in a way, as funny as it is, it really misses the point. Taking random ritual purity laws out of Leviticus and applying them to your life in New York or in Lake Norman for that matter certainly helps you sell books, but it doesn't really help you grow or come to know God. Now, I'm sure this book is a great read, very entertaining, but we all get that on some basic level, this is not how the Bible actually works. This is not how the scriptures were intended to work. Rather, there seems to be something about the gift of the scriptures that is missed when we approach the Bible in this gimmicky way. So, how are we, those of us who would describe ourselves as Christians, how are we, those of us who might consider pledging our faith in Jesus and becoming a Christian, how are we to think about the Bible? How are we to understand the Bible's role in the life of the Christian? Well, that's what this next 12-month journey here at Lake Forest Church is all about. The truth is, many people find the Bible to be quite intimidating. They sit down, they read it, but they struggle to understand what they're reading. Even if you believe the Bible is God's Word, you might feel like you're reading the Terms and Conditions page on your brand new phone. You're hoping to scroll to the bottom and just click click the Accept button, right? Or maybe you're part of that large group of people who set out to read the Bible at some point in their lives at the very beginning, only to get to the long genealogies, you know, Abima Shazam begets Meshizzle, and you just sort of fizzle out, you know that part? But let me encourage you today, wherever you find yourself in relation to the Bible, let me encourage you. If you've ever tried to read the Bible and failed, or simply tried and struggled, you are not alone. Many people find the Bible to be unlike any book they've ever read because the Bible is unlike any book you've ever read. The Bible is the divinely inspired Word of God 
which means it is the authoritative book on matters of faith. And because of that, here at Lake Forest Church, we don't simply want to read the Bible. Y'all are way too smart for that. We want to learn how to read it well as a community of faith. So over the next 12 months, we're doing something we've never done before. We're doing something that in all the churches I've ever been a part of, I have never done before. We are going to read the Bible from cover to cover. Here on Sunday mornings, we're going to preach from the very beginning to the very end over these next 52 weeks, which means church on Sunday is going to be about six hours long. It'll be awesome. <laughs> no, of course. Of course not. We have selected 52 of the most critical passages that will help you to understand the whole story of God. And I can't wait, y'all. This is going to be an awesome journey. And today, I want to lay a foundation for us as we get started. Now, before we do that, let me tell you about three ways, three practical ways that you can engage in this journey with us this year. The first is simply this. You can engage in the whole story by prioritizing Sunday mornings. Simply being here on Sunday or joining us for church online, if you do that consistently every Sunday over the next 52 Sundays, by the end of this year, you will know the whole story in a way you have not known it before. In addition to this, you might not know, but we have a podcast that we release on Wednesdays called Tell Us More. And in that podcast, we're going to be diving even deeper into the passages that we're preaching on every Sunday. So for those of you who like to nerd out a little bit with us, this is a chance to really go deep. And some of the scraps and cuttings and things that didn't make it into the message, there's a chance for us to touch on those items on those podcasts as well. More info on the website about that. Well, the second way you can engage, the so first way, just prioritizing being here on Sunday mornings. The second way is that you can engage in our devotional reading track. Those of you who are with me in the room, go ahead and take out this. There's one of these on your chairs. This is our whole story reading guide. Those of you joining us online, there is a PDF available of this on our website, lakeforest.org. Click on Westlake and simply look for the tab that says the whole story. In this devotional reading plan, you'll notice that we've selected here in the middle five readings for each week. There's one of those readings that's in bold. Can you guess what that means? That's the passage that we're going to be preaching on that Sunday. So here's how you might engage in this. If you don't have a daily reading plan, maybe you want to read along with us. These are passages that we have selected that speak to or enhance the passage we're preaching on. If you only have time to read once that week, I'd encourage you to read the passage in bold because that's the one we're going to be preaching on. And if you'll read the scripture prior to coming on a Sunday, your experience on a Sunday morning will be totally different. So, second way you can engage is in our devotional reading plan. But there's a third and final way, which is located on the back of our guide here as well. The final and most exciting, I think, for this year is a partnership that we have formed with Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Gordon-Conwell Seminary is a graduate school of theology, and they have put together a program called Bible Journey. Bible Journey is an online, on-demand tool that you can use to get a graduate school-level training in the Bible. It's simply amazing. And there are two ways that you can do this. We've got a cohort of folks that are going to be doing this virtually. In fact, Pastor Jeff Cook from our Huntersville Church is going to be helping to facilitate this and make this happen. 
We're going to be reading, or excuse me, participating in these journeys together and then gathering virtually one Monday a month to learn together and hear what you're discovering along the way. Now, if you don't want to do that, you can also access this simply on your own. We have selected certain lessons in the Bible journey that correspond to the sermon we're preaching that Sunday. Okay, I'm starting to get into the weeds. I don't want to bore you on this, but let me just tell you much more to come on this. For now, you can simply go to BibleJourney.org to learn more about that. There is a subscription fee for the year. It's normally $150. We, our elders and pastors are so committed to this, we've negotiated a deal. We're making that available to you for $35. Lake Forest is contributing to that on your behalf. We'd love for you to check that out. We're going to be talking about that more in the weeks to come. So three ways you can engage. Sunday mornings, devotional reading plan, and Bible journey. I'm going to invite you to think about which of those might be the best focus for you. All right, well, let's continue on with our message. Today, I want to look briefly, just briefly, at one of the greatest love poems ever written. And no, it's not Shakespeare, and it's not a Taylor Swift song. It's actually a love poem I wrote to my wife, Mary Robin. No, I'm kidding. I would never read that to you. Uh, It's Psalm 119 that Zoe read from. Psalm 119 is the single longest chapter in all of the Bible, and it's actually a love poem to the Bible itself. And it's so cleverly constructed, y'all. This is a brilliant acrostic. An acrostic is a style of poetry. There are 22 stanzas. Each stanza, one stanza for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You get how that works? But it's not simply that. In the eight lines of each of those 22 stanzas, every line begins with the letter that it corresponds to. Can you imagine the complexity of this ancient poem? It's brilliant. It's a work of art and beauty. But, but, it also tells us something important about the Bible and the Bible's role in the life of faith. As one scholar describes it, He puts it this way. He says, Psalm 119 is the explosion of praise made possible by an orthodox and evangelical doctrine of Scripture. And don't miss this little truth right here at the beginning. One of the greatest love poems in all of the ancient world is not about marriage, it's not about children, and it's not about the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's about the Word of God itself. This psalm is so important that the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said every pastor should memorize all 22 stanzas. Blaise Pascal did it. William Wilberforce did it. But since I don't want to show off for you today, I'm going to pretend to read these verses uh, from my notes here just, just to stay humble. Listen to this sampling of verses from this famous ancient poem to God's Word. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Watch the pattern here. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Verse 41, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Verse 42, then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Verse 72, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. 89, forever, O Lord, your word 
is firmly fixed in the heavens. Verse 91, your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. And perhaps my favorite of all, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Quite, quite a book. All right, here we go. Here's what we're going to do. Three things, three things, three observations about the Bible. Remember our question, what is the role of the Bible in the life of faith? Three observations from, about the Bible that are going to be part of our journey together. And first is simply this. First thing that, that we see in this passage is that the Bible is revelation from God. The Bible is revelation from God. I don't know if you're like the Gibsons. We love Barnes and Noble. Anybody, I mean, we don't buy anything there. We buy it on Amazon. But we love to go and walk around Barnes and Noble, right? And we go to Barnes and Noble, and I, my favorite section in the whole store is the self-help section, right? Which, by the way, is huge. It's just monstrous. And I love looking at some of the titles in this self-help section. Some of the titles are so funny to me. Books like this. Uh, this one came out this year. The Super Carb Diet. Now, that's a diet I could follow right there. Super Carb, yes. Uh, my goal, by the way, my New Year's resolution is to eat a cinnamon roll every day. And since my daughter is a really great baker, thus far, I'm three for three. Three for three. I'm, I'm doing really well. The Super Carb Diet. How about this one? How to get your husband to talk to you. All right, wives, there it is. Or, or this one, this is one everyone should read. I just love this. How to Survive a Robot Uprising, Tips on Defending Yourself Against the Coming Rebellion. There you go. So if you're worried about the robots taking over, I, if they do, I hope they all speak like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It'll be really cool. Anyway, that you need this book. You know, a lot of folks think that the Bible is nothing more than self-help for the spiritual life that it's the best of humanity's thinking about how to live a spiritual life. But my friends, that is not what Christians believe, and it's not what the Bible says about itself. Did you notice when the psalmist spoke about the statutes, the promises, the words, laws, and testimonies, every time he did so, he described it, he referred to it as God's word, God's promise not mankind's. But you might say, well, Aaron, hold on, wait, time out here, right? I'm trying to track with you, but Aaron, didn't human beings actually write the books of the Bible? I mean, weren't there human authors to these books? And the answer, of course, is yes. The books of the Bible were written by approximately 40 different human authors, men and women, writing over a span of 2,500 years. But, but, what Christians believe and what we as a church believe is that there is something different, something special, something unique about these books. That God was at work in a unique way, divinely inspiring these authors in the creation of these books. That's why the books of the Bible carry more weight than, say, an email from your pastor, right? Because about 40% of you read emails from your pastor, just so you know, right? That they, they, your pastor's email does not carry the authority that the scriptures do. This is what is often referred to by scholars and theologians as the doctrine of scripture or the doctrine of inspiration. The books of the Bible are not merely human creations. They are divinely inspired. 
As Timothy, the pastor in the New Testament says, all scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired. So how does this work? I mean, practically speaking, how does this work? Did God just, does God just come and take over the human body the way Voldemort does, all the bad guys in Harry Potter? Is that how this works? No, 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 no. Each of the books of the Bible still retains their own tone and style from their human authors. But the thoughts, the ideas, the insights, the truths were inspired. They were God-breathed by God's Holy Spirit. One other parallel, theologians often compare this to the divinity and humanity of Jesus. We just celebrated this at Christmas, right? The virgin birth of Jesus. Jesus was both human and divine. The human side of Jesus meant that he didn't just go flying around in the air when he wanted to go somewhere, right? He walked. He had a human body. He was limited in certain ways, but he was also 100% divine, which meant that he was 100% free of error and sin. He was 100% man and 100% God. And we'll have a lot more to say about this in the coming weeks, but it's important to note as we get started on this journey uh, of of the Bible that the Bible is not simply a self-help book. It is God's revelation to us. It is his word spoken to you. Now, of course, we have to learn how to read it and interpret the Bible rightly. We're going to talk about that, but this brings us to our second insight for this morning. First, God's word is his revelation, uh, sorry, the Bible is God's word to us, his revelation to us. Secondly, the Bible is a collection of books, each with its own style or genre. To understand what we're reading, we have to know what genre we're actually reading, what type of stuff we're reading. For example, if I told you I was going camping this weekend, right? Zoe, do you have that Bible? Let me see that Bible real quick. If I told you I was going camping this weekend and I wasn't going to take a flashlight, right? Why? Well, because God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? I'm going camping. I I don't need a flashlight. I have my Bible. If I told you I wasn't taking a flashlight to go camping, I was taking my Bible, you, you would laugh at me, right? Why? Well, because we know that's not what the psalmist means when he talks about God's word being a lamp and a light to our eyes. He's saying something about how we live our lives. He's not saying this literally, I can shine it on the ground so I don't stumble. That's not a right understanding. See, we have to understand the kind of genre we are reading. So, what is a genre? Well, genre is a unique style of communicating, with certain styles being more effective at communicating a certain kind of idea or story. For example, you already know this in your life, right? A newspaper article is a kind of genre. A children's book is a kind of genre. They each operate according to a different set of rules. Now, the Bible is actually a collection of 66 books that come together But each book has its own purpose. Each has its own role to play in the larger story of God's story. Uh, Part of what we're going to learn over this coming year is that the Bible actually has three basic genres, three kinds of writings. The first is narrative, that you kind of know what that is. The second is poetry. And the third is prose. Pop quiz. Pop quiz, you ready? Remember the flashlight? Remember the Bible? Psalm 119. What kind of genre is Psalm 119? Is it narrative, poetry, or prose? See, you guys are so smart already. Look at that. You've learned something. There we go. It's poetry. 
And that's why you understand how to interpret God's word is a lamp to my feet. Part of what we're going to learn this year is how to recognize the genre of each book in the Bible so that we know better how to read and understand the meaning of that book. Now, here's what's really, really cool. One last comment on this part. While each of the 66 books has its own unique style and tone, all 66 books come together to tell one story that points to Jesus. Which brings us to our third and final foundational insight. Namely, that the Bible has the power, the Bible has the power to give life. And it's here that we touch on a bit of the mystery and the spiritual reality of God's word. Remember how the psalmist described it? Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. You see, because the scriptures are God-breathed, because it is the word of God, as one test, New Testament writer, because the word is living and active, the scriptures have the power to speak life into our lives. And we see this occur over and over again in the scriptures themselves. One of the most common metaphors used in the Bible for God's word is that of a seed, a seed that you would plant in the ground. God's word, when it is planted in the hearts and minds of the believer, has the power to grow and produce in us the kind of life that God wants to give us. Jesus describes it this way. Maybe you heard this before. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then he continues. Here it is. If you remain in me, watch this, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And my friends, this is the invitation to each and every one of us in 2021 as we begin this series together. The invitation of this series is to read the Bible for yourself. To let God's word become a kind of seed in your life and to change you from the inside out, to grow in you the kind of life God wants to give. And look, I know you've got a lot of ambitions this year, right? You've got a lot of hopes for the new year. You're going to get in shape. You're going to start the super carb diet. Perhaps you're going to get ready for the robot invasion. You've got a lot of to-dos on your to-do list. But what if? What if God's actually whispering to you this invitation today to take in his word, to dwell, to meditate, to pray, to reflect, to study, and to let that word be a seed in your soul that would transform your life? It might just be the single most important discipline you take on this year. Will it take effort? What do you think? Will it take effort? Yeah, yeah it's going to take some effort, right? Will it take some discipline? Yeah, yeah. Will it be easy? No. <laughs> no, it's not going to be easy. But then again, nothing in life worth doing 
is ever easy. I can't guarantee what 2021 will have in store for you. I really can't. But I can promise you this. If you will give the best of your energy to engaging this journey, this journey with the Bible in 2021, I can promise you these words will change your life. It's the promise that Jesus made. Will you take him up on that challenge? Can we pray?